Welcome to the One Away Show, presented by BW Missions. I am Brian Wish, and I am your host, and thanks so much for being here. On this show, I sit down with compelling entrepreneurs, authors, and rising leaders to talk through their most transformative relationships, experiences, and epiphanies. Curated with entrepreneurial leaders in mind, we'll dig into these finite moments in people's lives and understand how they helped set their path forward. Charlie Paparelli is an angel investor who helps entrepreneurs achieve their dream of starting and building their own companies for over 20 years now. He has played a really big difference in my own life, has helped me immensely, and his track record is also impressive as he is the co-founder of 12 startups, an angel investor in 23 more, and a mentor to over 10 founders. He's also the founder of Angel Lounge in Atlanta, Georgia. To top it all off, he's had over five exits, which have netted 50% in their return. Charlie is the host of the Paparelli podcast, where he talks to entrepreneurs about topics like raising money, starting their own business, and sustaining growth. He's a contributing writer to faithdriverentrepreneur.com, a platform that equips Christian entrepreneurs with the skills to fulfill their calling. Really excited for you to listen to our show. It is a really special one, and I'm thrilled for you to listen. Charlie, welcome to the One Away Show. Well, I'm glad to be here, Brian. It's a pleasure. Yes. Well, for those that don't know, Charlie and I have a very uh, expansive, dynamic, long, tenured relationship since I graduated college. And uh, Charlie, you've been an incredible inspiration mentor in my life. So thank you for all your guidance over the years. But today's- I guess I've known you for almost, I I guess I've known you for almost a third of your life. Yeah, that's 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 wild to think. <laughs> it's pretty pretty crazy. Yep, uh, lots I've learned learned lots from you in the last seven years, eight years. So thank you. Um, I'll let you know when I get to thirty, and I'll be an official third. So today's today's about you, Charlie, and uh, I want to know about your one away moment, and the, you know what you want to share with us today. I think the one away moment that I'd like to share is happened to me and uh, began happening to me in my late thirties. And, um, and the one away moment, the actual moment was when I was sitting at breakfast with my boss at the time and I was running um, the U.S. operation for a um, IT services public company. It was listed in London. And I'm sitting with my boss. I was very unhappy. We were here in Atlanta. He lived in Los Angeles. And, I, and um, he was asking me to take a cut in pay as the president of the organization in the U.S. And I sat and... Uh, I wasn't, I got upset when he asked me to take the cut and pay when we had a dinner in New York. And now here we were over breakfast. He said, man, you need to think about this. And when he came and he asked me a question that was really important when we were going back and forth in this argument about a cut and pay and the cut and pay meant nothing to me. And he realized there was something deeper there. And he said to me, you know, Charlie, if you're not happy here, 
you can just leave. We'll be okay. And you'll be okay. He was just quiet. And I said, I'm not happy here. And I do want to leave. And he said, okay, well, let's just kind of figure out how we'll separate. And that was the one away moment, okay, that happened at that time. Wow. So just, just to clarify, and then I'll ask a question. You were the pre- you were the president of your division at the time, correct? I was the president of their U.S. operations. Wow. So you they had, had U.K. operations. I was running U.S. operations. Wow. So you had a very big job. At the time, I was 38. Okay, 38. So you were this midway point in your career, maybe the halftime, and right. you were probably making decent money for the time, yet you were, he saw it in your face or voice from what he picked up on, and he realized there was, it was more than money, that you were, there was something bigger there. Yeah, well, I had already sold a business, right? So I had money. Right. So what was happening is I really wanted this career. What I did is I realized as I got through my 30s that it really wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And it wasn't really that attractive to me. So here I am making more money than I ever made in my life, flying first class everywhere. So I was flying the Concorde between New York and London. I had an office in an apartment in New York. I was flying between New York and, and, and Paris and, you know, these flights that would take three and a half hours to get there, right? I mean, they were incredible. But it was all first class. It was the best best job I have had in my life. And for the few years that I had it, I was just miserable. Hard to reconcile with that when you have a long-term goal and you chase it and you find it and you ac- accomplish it and it's not what you expected it to be. You were at the top of the mountain, so to speak. You had sold, sold one business. Yeah. So- wasn't an issue, but then you wanted to assume a, a greater role. So my question to you is, what did more represent to you? Why did you feel the need to have to keep going up the mountain or getting to the top of this different mountain? Like what, what was the undercurrent pushing you to get there? And then once you kind of hit that ceiling, what, what felt so off inside that made you unhappy? Inwardly, I've always been very competitive and always had high ambitions because of that competitive spirit that I've had. All right. When I locked in, like when I joined the startup that I joined, this was back when I was 22 years old. All right. It was just really a lot of fun. And I was learning a ton. The beauty of startups is you work in a lot of different jobs, right? You're not stuck in one functional area. If you got to sell, you sell. If you got to install software, you do. If you got to teach how to use the software, you're a teacher. Okay. You kind of go through all of these things. If you got to do the books and the accounting, you do that too. And I love that being the startup. But as we sold out, I started, as we got close to selling out, the company had grown to a point where I started to get in, gain an appreciation for management and what it meant to be a manager mm-hmm. and then what it meant to be a general manager. Once we were acquired, I saw what that looked like. And I then saw a track. I clearly saw a track that I can be this, then I could be that, then I could be that, right? And kind of move up, get more ownership in companies, be more successful, 
more honor, more uh, authority. And I said, this would be really, and learning all the time, it'd be really great. And so once I saw the track, that's the track, once I was clear on it, with my competitive and my ambitious nature, I just started running the track. That's how I got there. Yeah. Now, one more question before we talk about once you've maybe got there. Yeah. After you sold your the company, so just to clarify, the company that you ended up working for or could grow under when you, that track that you saw, did they acquire your the company you were working on or did you go to their company after you sold your company? I just want to clarify that. They weren't the ones that, that bought us, but they, they the way it worked is the company that bought us, I ran their track for a while. Then they came to me and said, the divisions that you're running had multiple divisions. We want to sell this off. Got it. So they sold it off. And that's how I became a part of this other company. So I stayed in the same job. The company had new owners. It's more the way to look at it. Yeah. Makes sense. And the last question to that is, um, what, why didn't, why didn't, and then we can talk about once you kind of got to the top and you, you, you raced on that track being the entrepreneur that you are and being the type of person you are, why didn't you just say, okay, why don't I go start my next thing? Like I just sold my first thing. I mean, you had to go into now a bigger environment. Was it, you just didn't want the pressure anymore of, of starting another business or like what, what was the reason that you didn't walk away initially? To maybe define a new. Well, it's interesting that the before I actually ran the track, okay, <laughs> got into the corporate track, we had just finished a uh, a three year earnout on the sale of our business. I was then running that business plus some others for this public company. This was in the mid eighties, and uh, my former partner approached me who had started another business. And he said, let's do it again. Me and you will do it again. Hmm. And uh, we had some pretty, very, we well, not pretty, we had some very serious discussions around it. And uh, I knew I was flattered that he wanted to do it with me. Okay. Because I was like, we had a really good partnership, but uh, I just knew it wasn't right. And when you know something isn't right, you don't want to say, well, I just don't think it's right. You have to come up with some sort of analytical sort of, what is that? Would that be left brain sort of thinking that sort of justifies things, right? Justifies a decision. How do you justify an emotional decision? We justify based on analytics. And my analytics where I did actually forecasted my salary and my bonus and what my stock options would be worth and all that. And I said, this looks like a pretty good deal. But what really got me and what made me say no to that initially, originally, uh, so that I went the corporate route, was I didn't feel like I was going to learn anything new. Mm. That we were just going to take the old formula, do the same thing, and kind of come up with make more money and build a company. And that just didn't seem interesting to me. Mm. So I said no to him and I went the corporate route. So now I was bought into this corporate route. And off I was, I was doing it, man. And I was, I want to tell you, there's something about companies, big companies. There's some really, really smart people in big companies yeah. with some really great experience. So I would sit in management meetings. I'm talking meetings with, I was uh, 
it, I was in a I was in a great enough position that I was sitting around with fellow peers who were presidents of different divisions and groups of companies. And uh, I would sit there and I'd be taking notes when these guys talked. I mean, they were really smart. <laughs> wow. You know, so I was learning a lot and I love to learn. So that was all part of it. You know, that that's what's kept me there. And that's why I didn't sort of like go, well, I'm going to do a startup. That came later after the one away moment. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. Um, yeah, we'll get there. But that must have taken a lot of humility uh, in the moment of kind of that saying, I don't know it all. I want to continue my learning path and I'm going to dive in and really take this corporate track because it's, it's a whole new beast mm -hmm. I've never been a part of. So one, I think that's, so it'd be a lesson for any person who sells a company. Most of them I don't think would do that in this day and age. Maybe I'm wrong. That's a, that's a belief. But anyway, it sounds like that was a really satiating uh, experience, very full, uh, that you were able to kind of climb and ascend and learn from. So, you know, it sounds like you went into it with the right intentions, Charlie, and also the opportunity to truly grow, but you clearly hit a point where you, that, that growth had stopped or that, that feeling of desire to continue had stopped. What, what led up to that moment that, where you became unhappy? When you get into something that's bigger, uh, it's more established, there are clear expectations and you manage to those expectations. Risk has to be mitigated in everything that you do because there's expectations from outside shareholders and public companies. So you can't just go off willy nilly and sort of say, well, here's something new that we can do. Well, how's that going to, how much cash is that going to take? And how much is that going to impact our profitability? And, you know, can we really afford to do that? And so before you, so what you wind up being is just a manager, as opposed to somebody who's actually leading. Uh, I, I had to park my entrepreneurial sort of background, if you will. And uh, I thought management was going to be something a little bit more exciting than that. And uh, it wasn't for me as I got up there. Yeah. So I realized, ah, this isn't, this isn't for me. I'll tell you a funny story. I actually took my son for a haircut. This is my son who's now 33 years old. I remember taking him for a haircut. And while he's getting his haircut, I'm walking around. I went into this knickknack shop. And the knickknack shop, you know, they have these little sayings that you can hang on the walls, right? And the saying that I actually said, oh, that's me. I need to buy that and put that sign right in front of my desk, which I did. And the sign said, bloom where you are planted. Okay. And what had happened is I had realized, how could I be unhappy and be in the best job in the best office with the best perks ever? How can that happen? There must be something wrong with me. So that's why I put up the sign said, bloom where you are planted. <laughs> and, and it didn't work. What you're saying is, is you couldn't bloom even though you were planted in such a good position. Yeah, I was in a great place, you know, but it said, it's in other words, look at what you have. Be grateful. This is a great place. Make, make something of this. You should be fulfilled. Therefore, be fulfilled. 
didn't happen. I, I'm, I'm taking notes over here too. Like sometimes, some, essentially what you're saying is sometimes you can't bloom if you're, even if you're planted in the best position possible. Well, you're a different plant, right? And not every plant can bloom in the same ground. <laughs> Love it. Um, so did, Charlie, talk to me about this. Was this an internal grappling that you were facing? Like, it sounds like you just knew. You didn't even need logic. You wanted to find the numbers and analytics behind why maybe. But like in your heart of hearts, you just, you being the person I know really can feel your way through life in a, I think a smart way. Most people don't listen to that inner voice. How do you know like it was time? Was it, inter was it internal where you just couldn't live with yourself anymore? I mean, what brought you to the decision to like finally let go? What I was doing was in order to find that fulfillment, I found myself drinking more, partying more, escaping more. Okay, I say going deeper into what I'll call a sort of sin life. Yeah. In other words, I became a person I didn't like anymore, trying to find fulfillment in the world. But it all started with that my goal wasn't really a goal that I was interested in anymore. So you, you, you just try to soak in the perks, if you will, of everything, that the, the perks and the power, okay, that are surrounding you, hoping that you'll be rational and stay in this job. I mean, I had a wife and three kids, I mean, in a house, two cars, you know, college coming up, getting paid. Why would I move on? This is a good thing. What were you scared of? I was scared that once you chase once once i chased something for so long i mean i that was 38 so i chased this thing for 10 years we sold the business when i was 28 corporate life which was going to be for 3 years and wound up being for 10 years and because i was so taken by it i was it was so fertile for me as far as learning how to be learning about business and learning how to be a better leader and manager well, you chase something for 10 years, accumulating wife, kids, the whole, uh, the whole thing, right? And you sit there and say, I can't get to the end of 10 years and go, well, that wasn't it. I mean, I could do that when I'm 25, right? And I'm single. And I go, ah, yeah. But when you get to be in your late 30s, and you got sort of a whole circus that's behind you, that you're supporting, <laughs> you can't just... I didn't, I didn't feel like I could just go, ah, I'm going to do that anymore. Well, what are you going to do? Well, I don't know, but it ain't going to be that. You, you were scared around, you were scared about what was, what was laying on the other side because you, you couldn't imagine anything different. Yeah, because I was scared of change. How long did you stay past your maybe internal expiration date? Like when you knew it was wrong inside? Just to stay. How, how much longer did you stay until you had the charisma and courage to, or courage to let go? I stayed for two years beyond maybe three. Okay. And I never did get the courage. That's why I told you that story. I, I, I was ready to argue about the decisions that the upper management was making. I'm talking about the board of directors. I'd argue about it, but I never had the nerve to say, I'm out of here yeah. until 
my boss came to me, the CEO, and said, look, you don't, you don't, if you're unhappy, you, you don't want to be here. This isn't good for you. It's not good for us. He didn't tell me go away. He just laid it out and made it so clear. And I said, you know, you're right. I'm not happy here. So the therefore was, well, then you should leave. <laughs> so I never got to the point where I had the courage to say, I'm out of here. Yeah. You know, the, the Johnny paycheck, take this job and shove it thing. Okay. I never had the nerve to do it until this guy gave me, he showed me there's the door and it's open. And I was like, well, what's on the other side? I didn't know, but the door was open. He opened it for me. So I thank him for that. I thought that that was very gracious of him to do that because we had a great working relationship. Well, Charlie, I, you've told me a lot of stories and I'm, I'm beyond grateful for the stories you've shared. I recall you telling me about leaving corporate to then go on to your next thing and in past conversations. I don't recall the story that you shared today in this uh, depth and maybe the vulnerability and in the timidness and the big hole that maybe created inside of you until you could act on it. So I think, um, yeah, I, I, it's a, the, the timing of the story is great. So I, I want to go on to the next, uh, you know, you got to the top of the mountain, maybe the top of two mountains, sold a business, got to the top of the corporate mountain, wasn't a good fit. You shared why. How do you, how do you make your way down the mountain, and what path did that take you down? When I walked out, I was it was uh, breakfast at the Westin Hotel at the Galleria, okay, here in Atlanta, and I remember walking out the door after that conversation with my boss, and it was a beautiful spring day. It was like early May, and uh, I was gorgeous out as it is right now in Atlanta, you know, we got the masters going on this week, right? So it's beautiful, you know, the azaleas out the whole thing. And I remember walking out and going, what did I just do? <laughs> I was like, it was like, maybe I should go in there and apologize and get my job back, you know, but what did I just do? But I just kept walking forward and I got in my car and I didn't know, I had like no idea what the next step was going to be. And um, it was interesting. The next step came pretty quickly. I got a call from my former partner who was now in this business that I decided not to join him. And he did really well to the point where he took that company public. It was really amazing how well they had done. And he said to me, he said, I hear you left your job. He said, you know, there is this other entrepreneur who you should talk to. You know, I think that uh, maybe you can do something with him. Four to six weeks later, I finally had this uh, meeting with this guy and uh, I was taken with him. I said, my God, this guy's like one of these real entrepreneurs. I mean, he's really doing some interesting stuff. And the name of the company was AudioFax. And he actually, and Fax back then, this is, remember, this is um, early 90s before the internet, fax was the only way that had instant communication from point to point, right? You put a document in one end and it comes out the other end that quick, okay? And he had the, uh, the patent on what's called uh, uh, call and forward fax, okay? So you would 
put the uh, put the put the document into a fax machine it would go to a computer and then from any place in the world you can call that computer in from a fax machine and it would instantly sell you send you that fax wherever you were he had the patent on that and so i joined i wound up joining them became his president that was a turnaround we had to raise more money it was interesting talking to a board and doing that and raising money and stuff and it was great uh until it wasn't and then uh, what wasn't great was i found myself dealing with personnel situations management situations that i had dealt with 10 years earlier so it was like i didn't grow at all i didn't learn anything okay i wasn't learning anything new if you will i can relate i mean i think you having the self-awareness to kind of understand you weren't growing maybe you felt a bit caged uh and saying i, I needed something different i have some similar issues so i'm just not growing i mean that's the self-awareness there right i think it just was it? wasn't you, you just know it's not right right you just know it's not right now what you what i did eventually what i do originally i think we all probably do this is we start blaming everything that's external wrong guy wrong product wrong people in place wrong investors right there's the problem but right. it's not out there problems are in front of you. yeah that's hard to get to right i know christianity and jesus is giving you the great sense of purpose with everything but at that time of your life how much were you thinking about the bigger picture and the purpose of what it was all for how did that drive decision making if at all and and how is that and maybe that's changed to drive you into the the next lines of work that you ended up going upon yeah i think it was back then that's usually when we start getting into generally speaking and I, I i'm i'm somebody that fits the mold you think like the people that you hang out with right yeah. and back then we were all thinking about just continuing to grow to continuing to support our families to grow in our career and uh you know the in corporate in particular it was just all about making money it was just all about money and there was an emptiness in it being all about money but i didn't have any idea what else it would be all about because <laughs> everybody around me was all about the money i was all about the money until i just didn't think i, I thought there was more to it than all about the money and that was the beginning of thinking differently and when you start thinking differently like that, the system that you're you're in literally spits you out. Right? And I think that that's what happened to me. So then I'm like, where do I go? Well, then I'm back into, well, I think it's just a, the wrong ground that I'm planted in. I need to go back to entrepreneurship, which is what I did. And because that's another great place to make money. In fact, you can make millions if I can get in there and, uh, own a big piece of, or some piece of equity is something that's going to grow big, then I'm really going to make money. But then it wasn't right again. So it wasn't about the money. It's easier when it's just about the money. <laughs> but if it's not about the money, that's a big problem. Yeah, right. Because everybody's about the money. That's the least common denominator. It's the easiest thing to talk about. Yeah. So what happened is one night I, um, well, 
I said, you know, what I need to do is I need to work for a bigger company. So I left that company. And it was interesting. Again, I didn't have the nerve to say I was leaving. I hired a guy as my VP of sales. And we started talking one time and I realized I'm in the wrong place. And he goes, you know, you are in the wrong place. He says, I am too. So let's go to the board, of this chairman of the board. And I said, okay. So off we go. We resigned together. And now I'm unemployed again. So I'm sitting at home. Uh, so I'm sitting at home and I said, you know, I need to just find a, this is again, the next step I went through is I said, I need to just run a company for an entrepreneur that's much further along. So there's more structure to it. I can take it from the idea they have and then sort of grow it. And I started to interview with some people and I found this one guy who happened to be another Italian guy, by the way, he was a great entrepreneur. But he was in the banking business and he uh, we had decided to uh, to join to join up. He was going to hire me as his president. The night before I was to start, I remember I was holding Nick, who's now 28 years old. I was holding him in my arms and I get this call and I say, yeah, Ron, I said, what's up? He goes, well, I talked to the behavioral psychologist and he told me, uh, having reviewed your results and interviewed you that this would never work between you and me. He goes, I'm just telling you, I ain't hiring you. We're done. And I remember I was so upset that I went, I, I found that, that behavioral psychologist the next day and literally barged into his office. And I'm like, what the hell did you just do? Who are you to tell this guy I'm not right for him? You know, And he very calmly explained why it wasn't a fit. And I went, that's a really good reason. <laughs> and the reason was the guy that was I was going to work for was very, very detail-oriented, as are a lot of these technical entrepreneurs. And he said, and you're not, Charlie. He says, you're pretty much an intuitive big picture guy. And he said, you can't work for him because he's going to ask you questions you think are just simply ridiculous and don't need to be answered. So I said, all right, so now I'm unemployed and without not knowing what I should do. You, you bounced around, I mean, in great measure after having so much success. And then it was like, what, what do I do? And like finding your feet again. I mean, it's crazy to me. Uh, a lot of ups and downs in a short period, but keep going. I think a one-away moment is that. A true one-away moment is that. I think you get to, you go like, man, it was this, and now it's not this. But it's been this for 15 years. How could it not be this? If it's not this, what is it? I have no idea. I mean, it could be a divorce being a one-away moment. What am I going to, does that mean I get married again or I never get married again? Or if I do get married again, do I marry somebody? We're going to have kids again. I already have kids. I mean, what, I mean those are very, very uh, confusing times to make that change. <laughs> and it was for me from a professional standpoint. Hmm. I wish it wasn't, but it was. Yeah. And uh, here's the, here was the big thing that you mentioned about uh, my faith. Okay, so I'm basically like rock bottom at this point. 
yet I'm still a pretty heavy drinker. Okay. And I would drink, I would drink a lot. And, uh, but I was functional. And uh, this one night after hearing from Ron, this isn't going to work and not knowing where to go next. I had um, Kathy and I split a bottle of wine. I'm sure she had a glass. I drank the rest of the bottle. And then I sat down drinking beer, watching a baseball game. And I realized that my bedroom door is closed and Kathy's in the air. My, at the time I had, uh, you know, I had four kids. One of them was a baby, so he's sleeping, but the other three were in their rooms with their doors closed. And I said, you finally did it. You've become your father. See, when my father started, when my father would come home, if he was drinking, we all like ran away from him because we didn't know, we didn't trust him. We didn't know if he was going to love us or he's going to start a big fight. So what you do, what I did was I stood back. Well, that actually, I turned into my father. When I started drinking, my kids would disappear and my wife disappeared. And I said, you've done it. You've become your father. What do I do now? And I, at the, that moment, I had a crystal clear vision that if I stayed on this path, I would lose whatever career might be coming my way if I kept drinking and I would lose my wife and I would lose my kids. It just became so clear to me at that moment in time. And uh, the next day I woke up and I called a guy that was um, from my old neighborhood who went through a recovery center. And I had heard about him and I knew him, but we weren't good friends. And I called him up and uh, his name was Jim. And I said, Jim, I said, you know, I just want to talk to you about drinking. And he said, let's have lunch today. Well, I had time. <laughs> so we had lunch. And at lunch, he's telling me everything that went on in his life and uh, how he says, you know where this ends up? And I said, where? He says, in the morning, I'd get up and I would drink a 16 can, can of Budweiser for breakfast. And then I would get another 16 ounce can, put it between my legs and drive to work. And I'm thinking, this guy is really screwed up. And then I'm thinking, could that be me? And I'm thinking, maybe that could be me someday. And I don't want to be that. And uh, he said, let's go to an AA meeting. So I went to an AA meeting and that's where my life changed at the AA meeting. I, I remember I went dressed in my suit, best suit and tie, sat in the back, head down, didn't want to have anything to do with these other 50 guys that were all drunks, men and women. And at the end of it, some guy stood up who was, um, he happened to be a Jewish guy who was also a painter. And I never saw this happen again in all the AA meetings I attended. And he points to me in the bag and he goes, I don't know who you are, or why you're here, but if you want to stop drinking one day at a time, you'll come up here and get this white ship which signifies stopping the drinking one day at a time. In the morning when you wake up, you'll thank God for keeping you sober. So here's the stranger who gave me permission to do the two things I wanted to do most in my life. One was I did want to stop drinking. I knew it was going to be the death of me. And secondly, he gave me permission to talk to God, a God that I walked away from when I was 18 years old and uh, never thought wanted me back. So that was my beginning of um, my progress in my one away. You kind of looking at yourself and saying, I've turned into my father must have been a very hard moment to realize. Yeah. My kids, my wife, everything I know could leave me that I've worked so hard for. 
uh, you went to it was everything that was important to me right i mean it's everything i treasured right and i was throwing it away what for what for alcohol right and so was it was it at the aa meeting though that jesus christ god came into your orbit into your world of saying this is this is my new sanctuary. This is what's going to turn my life around. Like how, how do you make this connection point? Was it a number of things? No, my, my sanctuary, my sanctuary. That's a good word. My sanctuary. Where was my safe place? Right? So they told me you need to do 90 meetings in 90 days. That was the advice they gave me when I went to the AA meeting. And I'm thinking 90 meetings in 90 days. Well, I started going to these meetings and uh, every night and you go to different places. They're usually held in churches or community centers or wherever. And there's different meetings have different men and women in them, you know, so you hear different stories, you get different looks. And uh, it became hearing their stories. It became my sanctuary, as you called it. It was my safe place. So Kathy knew that we would have dinner at night and then I would rush out to go to an eight o'clock AA meeting. That's what I would do every night. And um, I remember there were some guys that were about my age who had started at about the same time I did. And none of those guys made it. They didn't do 90 meetings in 90 days. They all of a sudden, I'd have one friend, this one guy owned car washes. I remember he said to me, he's from the same age as me. He said, yeah, my buddies, you know, my old friends, and they tell you to get rid of all your old friends because they're all drunks. He said, uh, my old friends, they're, all, they're going to Vegas, so I'm going to go with them. And I'm like, man, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> and he went, and then I never saw him again. Hmm. And uh, they had a saying at AA meetings when a guy like uh, John didn't show, he was showing up every day, and then all of a sudden he doesn't show up anymore. They had a saying that said, Say, well, where's John? And they say, oh, John's out improving his story. <laughs> because wow. at some point you're going to come back. Wow. And uh, those guys kept me sober. In fact, I went to 180 meetings in 180 days. I didn't ever want to leave there. Oh my at the end of about nine months, I, it took a long time, but this, this desire to drink was day by day by day slowly being taken away from me until one day I realized I didn't have that desire anymore. And um, there was a discussion that was going on and the discussion led by the leader was, who's your higher power? Of course, in AA, the steps are one, my life is out of control, okay? Secondly, I can't solve this problem. I have to give up on that. And thirdly, there is a God and I can give God my problem. He'll take it from me. There's a spirit, the AA meetings are a 12 step program is a spiritual transformation. If you read the AA book, that's what they say. You need to go through a spiritual transformation. Who knows what that meant? But, um, we're sitting there and these guys are talking about who's your higher power. And one guy says, my higher power are the people in this room. Another guy said, my higher power is the blue book of AA. 
Another one said, it's my sponsor. And I'm sitting there and saying to myself, there was a miracle that happened in my life. I don't, I, I couldn't drink. I mean, I couldn't stop drinking. And now I'm not drinking for almost a year now. And uh, I think it was this higher power that's created this miracle in my life, saved my life. I said, who is this higher power? I said to myself, within a week, I had people inviting me without me telling anybody this story. I had a week, people, two people invited me to two different, one was a dinner, sort of prayer oriented meeting. And another one was a prayer breakfast. Okay. And I remember both of them vividly at the time. And that was my introduction to business people who had claimed Jesus Christ as their savior and Lord. Hmm. Hmm. So that was the beginning of my walk. And that was the beginning of me meeting new people that had this belief system, which was antithetical to anybody else that I had hung out with for years. One, you, you got to a place where you realized maybe you didn't need to show up anymore to those meetings. Like you, you had that inner strength to know you were, you were on your own, but it led you in a certain way to question, what is that, what is that higher power guiding me? And we're able to go down that path of, of, of finding Jesus Christ. One of the things that you realize is that, you know, as I said, I started to, you, you look back at your life, I looked back at my life and I saw the life that I lived and the things that I had done and the people that I hurt. And you sit there and you say, how could I ever be forgiven for the things that I had done? How do you, how do you take, how do you take that? How do you get forgiven? And how does that guilt go away? And that was something that I kind of, that I pursued and uh, that's where the answer came. And Jesus died for my sins and takes away my guilt and gives, makes me into a new man in him. And uh, when that finally clicked for me, that's when, uh, that's, when I ex that's when I gave my life to Christ. And that took, from that moment about going to one of those prayer breakfasts, for example, that took a good six months because I I want to investigate it. It wasn't something that I just did emotionally. I want to understand it. I wanted to, but I, I, as I look back, God was walking me through this, introducing me to just the right people, putting me in just the right rooms. Okay. Studying just the right verses in the Bible, which I had nothing, I knew nothing about till I actually came to that point. The guy that actually led me to Christ was Adolf Coors the fourth. So the guy that owned the business that made all the beer is the guy that led this alcoholic to Christ, okay? Which is pretty crazy. Oh my, wow. <laughs> now that's, that's, that's a bit goosebumpy for sure. <laughs> so special. But, um, I went to AA meetings. That was another one of those. You said I stopped going to AA. I, I went to AA meetings and Bible studies and then what happened is, I, as I went, I got more and more involved with this group of believers, I became less involved with the AA meetings. And I replaced my AA meetings with regular Bible studies with new groups of men that kind of kept me sober. Found a new sanctuary. And found a new sanctuary. That's exactly right. That's what happened. I learned something new about you every time we talk. 
Um, is it? Yeah, the Adolf horror story. Saying that, I, I literally got like this rush down my spine. I'm like, that's just weird. Um, life, life happens in weird ways. Um, so, so Charlie, I bet during this period, you, you, it gave you obviously a lot of time as you went through this professional turmoil to, well, I'd say do a lot of discovery on Charlie himself and look at yourself in the mirror and redefine yourself and figure out the man you wanted to be. What, how did that change your career path? How'd that change your relationships at home with Kathy and your kids? And what, what was the, how did the plant bloom as you were in new soil, so to speak? Yeah. Well, first you had to realize what plant you weren't. Okay, so I told you I didn't like the man I had become. Then I had to dry out, all right? Get, get all of the drugs out of my system, if you will, so I could think clearly. And that took a good year for that to happen. And then I finally get to the point where um, I was still sitting there going, I don't know what to do. So what I did was I just started to, uh, I, what happened is uh, I was dealing with a financial planner and an executive recruiter back then. And they gave me a list of executives in the Atlanta area. And this is executives, CPAs, and lawyers, people to call, to just network with. And there must have been, I don't know, 50 names on the list. So I would call these people up and I would ask for an appointment because they knew this other guy who sent me to them. So I would usually get the appointment. So I wound up, that's how I built my initial network in Atlanta. So I started just calling these people and they would, and they would say, so how can I help you? Well, you know, this is what I used to do. And this is where I'm thinking I'm going. I think I'm looking for whatever, some kind of corporate job or whatever thing, whoever I was talking to, I had sort of a different story. And when you don't know who you are, or if you know, you don't know who you are and you don't know what you want to do, there isn't anybody that can help you. Mm. <laughs> but I did meet a lot of great people, which was a good thing. Then one day I got a call from um, some lady, her name was Claudine, who used to work for me as a branch manager in the that uh, UK public company. And she said, I'm starting a business tomorrow morning in my home. And I want you to fund it. And I want you to be the CEO. And I'll work for you. And I said, we'll be partners. And I said, I don't think that's a fit for me. That doesn't seem right. She said, look, you're not doing anything anyway. You should do this. You know this kind of business. It was a services business. Well, I said, I'll think about it. Well, nine o'clock, I go and I meet her at her house. We start this business. Nine months later, I'm down $150,000. She walks into my office and she says, I can't work for you. You're impossible. You know, so I quit. And I'm sitting in, I'm in a business that I don't want to run. 
in an office has no windows. It was a subleased office. I mean, we had no money. I had, I was down 150 grand and my partner just walked out the door. And I said, can this still be happening to me? Can this, where, where am I going here? It was almost at that very moment, I got a call from a guy that used, that's a, that used to work for me as a salesman, then became a national sales manager for me in the business that we had started and sold way back in the early 80s. And he said, you've met a lot of people in Atlanta. I'm not happy where I am. I'm going to move on. And he said, uh, I want to tap into your network. Can you help me? So we had lunch that very day. And I said to him, I said, Bob, I said, you're always looking for the next fast train out of the station. You know, that software company that's just about to explode, right? That's where you make your money. I said, you've never been happy in the last several years. I known you, you've never been happy with the people you work with. And the reason is, is you know who you are and you know how a business should be run. You have a very clear vision for it. I said, so since you're so clear on your values, you should really start your own business. He goes, oh, that would be a pain in the ass. I wouldn't know how to do that. He said, uh, but what business would I start? I said, I just happen to have a business. <laughs> and Claudine walked out the door. A week later, Bob took over that business and he built it into a $7 million business over a period of five years. That was my first angel investment. And that's how I became an angel investor. And that's how I got into my new career. I knew I didn't want to run businesses. I wanted to help people, inspire people to start businesses and then help them be successful. That's how it happened. Wow. <laughs> didn't know that either, Charlie. Uh, <laughs> man of many layers. I'm sure... You put Kathy on quite the journey. Um, so well, she always trusted me. She always trusted me. There is a funny story. I was working out of the house and she came into, this was after I was working out of the house for about a year. She walked into my home office at about uh, 10 in the morning. And she said, you see this, this house here? I said, yeah. She goes, from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., this whole house is my office. You need to find a place to work. You can't work here anymore. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> so she threw me out of the house. <laughs> Too funny. So, um, Charlie, I am, for this for the sake, just given a. Like, five-ish minutes left, um, want to be respectful of time too. I, but I also don't want to cut this story short either. Can you maybe describe kind of the path that this ended up taking? So you realized, okay, this investment opportunity led you down the whole world. I mean, can you maybe, you can't sum up your investing career in five minutes or what happened after in five minutes, but what, what, what can, can you share um, kind of what this journey has been like for you and how it's yeah, I think what happened I think what happened is I went from it's all about the money 
which is sort of the corporate way of life. Two, it was asking the question, what really is it all about? And when I came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I realized it's not, re it's really all about God. It's in my relationship with him. It's not about the money. And if it's about God, it's about people. So my focus became serving others as opposed to looking like I was serving others so that I could make a lot of money, <laughs> which was my corporate view, you see. And so uh, that put me on that path of invest. I read Halftime. I met Bob Buford. Okay. I've been through, um, I got exposed to uh, a lot of business people who were on purpose for Christ in their businesses. And I was really interested in learning how did they integrate their faith and their work? How did that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so there was this, this uh, path to purpose that sort of uh, I found myself on, which was really exciting. Okay. That's what came out of it all. Forgetting about angel investing and the people I invested in, you know, the money that was made and the money that was lost. And all. It was all about being on purpose. Hmm. And I didn't know that. That's what I was looking for in my thirties and didn't know it. I didn't even know to ask the question. Wow. Well, this was a very um, purposeful and impactful interview. Uh, I feel like we covered more ground, covered a lot of ground in this and really meaningful on a lot of stages of life, purpose, career, family, mm. you know, all the things that matter when it's all said and done. And uh, I think you offer a really good perspective. Um, incredible perspective, given your journey, given what you've gone through, how you grew up, right? Things you went through. Mm -hmm. So Charlie, yeah, I've so cherished the relationship that, you know, we've been able to build and um, appreciate you showing up and, and sharing today. If people wanted to soak in some of your wisdom, where, where can they find you and connect with you? Well, go to paparelli.com. Makes it easy. Paparelli.com has it all. Also have a YouTube ch channel called the Charlie Paparelli show, but uh, you know, or you can always write me at Charlie at Paparelli.com. So pretty easy to find me. There he is. Well, Charlie, thanks again for showing up. This is so special and meaningful. Uh, one, one for the books. All right, Brian. Well, right. I look forward to seeing you soon. Take care. You too. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, I hope you leave a review on the platform of your choice and share it with a friend who you think would find it valuable. If you'd like to receive our written newsletter and thought leadership, head on over to bwmissions.com newsletter and subscribe. See you on the next show.